Welcome to Beer in the Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes creating outstanding pairings, but other times, when we need to, giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard, and I'm joined alongside, sitting by me every single week. I'm so glad he's here. Dave Gurney. And we have got a returning guest, uh, one of my favorites. Here, not that long ago, no? uh, to, to talk about Bones and All with us yeah. and uh, and Call Me By Your Name. Excited to have him back in the room with us. The one and only Jimmy Wilden. Hey. Jimmy, how you been? I've been all right. Good, good. Yeah, hanging, up, in, hanging in there. Up to your eyeballs in movies and beers, I hope. Definitely. Oh. <laughs> At least the movie part. That's I, right. I, I, yeah, yeah, we, we kind of... <laughs> Actually, y'all... y'all uh... Since since the last episode, I've been drinking a little more beer. So, oh wow, I, 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 I love that's probably a good I bl- influence. I blame right? you all. Definitely <laughs> a bad influence. Well, we're gonna at least enjoy two tonight. Uh, not too much, just enough to get an idea of if we like it or not, and what we think about it. You know, it was only two episodes ago, David, that we had the Houston Hazier for right. Spindle Tap. It was a special. A beer that they put out on the one-year anniversary, originally, of their flagship beer, Houston Haze. And we noted in that episode that we had not done the Houston Haze. So we're going to write that wrong. Houston Haze is their... This is out of Houston, I said, right? The Double yeah. Dry Hopped Hazy IPA, Hazy IPA is their flagship beer brewed with galaxy and citra hops, Opaque in appearance with big citrusy aromas, juicy flavor, notes of pineapple, grapefruit, and guava. And this really is like a shelfie um, in that it's a very reliable, hazy beer that kind of introduced or helped introduce certainly the hazy IPA into the Houston market. Yeah, I mean, I think it's become uh, the, the, the cornerstone of the hazy IPA here in uh, in at least a lot of Texas, I think, uh, certainly the Houston market, but right down here to South Texas, uh, where, where we are, um, it's it, it was exciting when it when it when it finally started arriving here, and so it was a good reason to get back to it. Uh, Spindle Tap, and I'm trying to remember, did we get? I feel like you were saying last time we were getting close to five times with it. it does this make them members of the five timers? I can only hope yeah, that you, it does. In that, that would be an exciting. Evening right. for us and for Spindle <laughs> Tap. Uh, I know it will probably go out in their newsletter. Yes, tonight <sighs> Spindle Tap. Look at that makes it into the five timers. Five timers club. club Spindle Tap. Uh, t- totally deserving of it, right? We we've enjoyed all the beers we've had from them. Excited to finally right the wrong and have this, I guess, younger sibling version to the <laughs> to the Houston Hazier, which I guess more is the. Uh, Super, uh, and I didn't say the ABV, and I always like to. This is seven percent, right? So, no slouch itself, Jimmy. It's that time of year on Beer in a Movie where we're catching up with all these award buzz films, right? And tonight's a double feature international feature, right? And we're gonna start right off of the bat, David. I don't know how you feel about this. I, uh, I know that when we do a film. That does not like one of the big blockbusters, maybe a smaller audience that our listenership goes down and people catch up with it once they have had an opportunity to watch the film. Right. Would you mind if we did a small spoiler free section of our first movie tonight before we leap into the spoilers? Trying something new? Uh, I'm willing to experiment with you. Oh, I love it. I, d- I you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, <laughs> well. It, in, in, in any case, I'm going to give a little bit of setup here, sure. just to you know get You're us. You're going to say why we'd have an India paleo? Get us in the occasion, right? So it felt like 
I mean, honestly, uh, I went to procure the beer. I was trying to find an actual beer brewed in India that I could get in this town right now. And I've had some Indian beer in the past. I think Taj Mahal was the, was the name of the, the brewery that uh, I had had, but could not get any on the shelves here locally. So an India pale ale. Not for lack of trying. Right, made sense. And the reason that makes sense is because we are looking at the Indian blockbuster um, that has just set the world aflame in 2022 and is now still being talked about in early 2023, especially with lots of award stuff going on. Uh, that's RRR, which as a title confused me, um, it, it, certainly, because I, I remember people talking about this online. I would see it like get posted about in social media every once in a while, you know, some of my film friends, uh, you know, saying like, oh, you got to see RRR. And not knowing what it was, finally doing a search and okay, so it's this it's this Indian film, not a Bollywood film, a Tollywood film, but not not that Tollywood, the other Tollywood. <laughs> There's like two, but uh, this this is the Telugu uh, language yeah. cinema Southern that, it, that it's coming out of, um, which th this is interesting. I mean, I hadn't, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I had a moment in the 2000s. I think maybe partially inspired by Ghost World, also partially inspired by going to grad school and being exposed to people who had a lot more um, awareness of and interest in foreign cinemas than I hadn't. I mean, like I had done European cinema. I had had some of that, but I hadn't really gotten into a lot of uh, certainly Southeast Asian cinema. And so um, meeting people who at that time, Bollywood was sort of king. I mean, it was the films coming out of the Mumbai film industry, formerly Bombay, thus Bollywood, that were really, if they made it here, making it here and and being talked about and, and sort of dominating the box office. But, you know, doing a little bit of research on this one, things have kind of flipped. And now Tollywood is pretty much the dominant in, I think, the Indian film market. Right, especially in, in as far as box office. Because yeah. of this director, Raja Muli, um, who, who we're looking at his latest film here, RRR, this week, uh, because he's had such great success. I mean, he has like three or four. He's like, a you know, the James Cameron of, right. at least in terms of box office returns uh, for, for the Indian market. So anyhow, this isn't just him at the helm of this film that makes it so notable for the Indian movie-going audience. It's the other two R's, right? You have Rajamouli, but you also have um, these two other lead actors, uh, uh, N.T. Ramarao Jr., and Ram Charan, and they are sort of as big as it gets right. in terms of the Tollywood star system. I'm stealing this from somebody. It's as if yeah. Spielberg in the early 90s directed Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then they'd yeah. have SSS. Right. Yes, right. There you go. That, there you that go. would be uh, that would be a good comparison there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, here RRR being their initials when this project was even just being whispered about. That's how it was being referred to. And lo and behold, even though it really doesn't directly connect, there's lots of other things that have been sort of mapped on to that RRR initials. Right. I think in the English language version that we were watching on Netflix, I assume we all watched it on Netflix, yeah. right? Um, Rise, Roar, Revolt. Uh -huh. Was that that? Yeah. So, I mean, they've been playful about that. And I think they've even done things with some of the other Indian language markets because that's one of the things that 
Tollywood has done really well is they actually make multiple different versions dubbing them in the different languages they don't dub as i understand it they will well well, there's right there's two languages that they actually film simultaneously but then they'll even for the because there's like what 16 or more languages sure yeah as i understand it they shot seven different language versions really was it seven on this they shot all seven yeah and then whenever you watched it it was uh the netflix one i saw i didn't look to see if there were others was rrr hindi oh yeah the one that i watched was labeled hindi which is a little Mm -hmm. confusing because the dub didn't match the subtitles and you had to kind of choose. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't even close. No. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that that honestly at a certain point I think I did shut off the subtitles just cuz it was getting so distracting to try yeah. to be yeah. Um whereas I often keep them on. <laughs> these oh, I days. did. I want to hear your synopsis <laughs> well, okay. of this thing. So this <laughs> this, this film, this film project that comes together with all this star power takes two very well-known sort of freedom fighters from that British Raj period coming into Indian independence in a period of their lives that really is not covered too much in the history. Like they're kind of these periods of time where they were away from their tribes, but then not necessarily, um, you know, out there as big political figures yet. And it sort of imagines this alternate history where the two of them actually meet as become friends and sort of team up and the the thing that sort of brings them together the inciting incident for this fictionalized version of their history is that a young girl is taken from a village uh you know against her mother's will and one of these men uh beam who's from that village is determined to rescue her, to take her back from the the British captors, right? Mm-hmm. They, now they've taken her as like a pet, essentially, like to show her off to guests and, and stuff at their lavish palace, right? Um, and on that quest, he ends up meeting up with somebody, Ram, who has become part of the British guard and is trying to work his way up the ranks. Now. We're spoiler free, right? I can't say what. Okay, if we can't do it, let's. He's let, with the British ranks. <laughs> let's just say he's with the British ranks. So they're on opposing sides of this, right? One is aligned with the British. The other one is definitely trying to take something back from the British, and yet they meet under sort of um, interesting circumstances where they rescue a boy um, who, who's in peril. They become the best of friends. And even from that moment of them becoming the best of friends, we're told through song that, oh, this is a, this is maybe not going to be a great friendship. They're, they're in trouble because they're hiding things from one another without realizing what they're hiding. And so a lot of the film is fueled by it's a buddy film of sorts. It's certainly an action film. It's also, as with a lot of Indian cinema, filled with musical sequences, although I think actually maybe lighter on the musical sequences. I mean, when they come... They're big. They they definitely come. They, but but I've you know having seen some Bollywood films in the past, I feel like I'm more used to like eight, nine, ten musical sequences. This one maybe has like four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and anyway, so we have the musical aspects. We have a little bit of romantic comedy mixed yeah. in there, yeah. right? Where where Beam is sort of um, infatuated with the niece of the governor. There you go. Yes. Um, the and, British governor. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, certainly, uh, you know, just, I mean, almost anything you can throw at the screen gets thrown at the there's screen. No, there's not <laughs> enough superlatives for the film. If, it can, if they can try it, they will do it in the, in, in the name of action. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, 
I loved this movie so much, and I, and I want to just kind of get I, it out I, there. And, I had the sense you did. Yeah, I loved this movie so much. Um, my, I had to twist my daughter's arm to watch it, but 10 minutes in, and, and it's a hard sell even for friends now. It's a three-hour Indian action film. What? <laughs> I swear to God, give it 10 minutes, and you're going to be hooked. And if you can get to minute 53 for the first big sequence that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. You're just gonna have a smile on your face for the rest of the the rest of the two hours. I love it. You should watch it, Jimmy. What do you think? I um. So I'll I'll start this off by saying that I don't have much experience with Bollywood. Okay. So um, but once I got used to the the whole environment of it and, and the approach, um, it was about thirty minutes in for me before I was able to to fully digest what was happening. Right? <laughs> and, but the the rest of it, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly loved. So, um, and it's not that I hated the beginning; it was just that I wasn't prepared. Oh, it's a for, big shift yeah, I mean, for what was happening. Yeah, Savannah you know, was here in After Hours last yeah. week, and she said maybe American filmmakers should be trying some of these techniques. But then I, then she says, I thought, no, maybe they shouldn't. It's just they're doing it so well over there that it would be kind of a pale, strange imitation to bring some of this in over the top action. Uh, this spoiler free thing's not working for me at all, David. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta dive right in. I mean, this is a very maximalist approach to filmmaking, oh, God. right? This is just, it, you're not holding back anything. You are, you know, if, if it's going to be an action sequence, it's going to be the tensest, most outrageous version of an action sequence. Like if, if it's somebody dangling from a bridge, they're going to dangle in the most precarious but also artful and graceful way that you've ever seen. They're going to make stick every landing that they attempt. There's going to be, you know, not a scratch on them. It's just, it's beautifully choreographed um, action and beautifully rendered. I mean... It, it's it's hard to pick a place to kind of jump in because I think this film does so many different things. Now, I don't think I'm maybe as much of a lover of this film as you, Joe. Mm. Um, maybe even you. I, I like this film, okay? I appreciate this film. Mm. I get what it goes. But I do think there's something about, you know, to to what Jimmy said about, I know I know a little Bollywood. It, it has never spoken to me in the deepest of ways. I can appreciate it. I can enjoy it. It entertains me, but it doesn't. It doesn't get me in right. the same way that I, I mean a lot of other cinema does. And and that's just that's not a failing of this film. That's a personal failing. I'm I'm gonna put that on me. No, seriously. I and I, and I think part of it is you know if if I can imagine if I was repeatedly seeing films because the the truth is in India it is the norm to have films close to three hours or more I mean I remember seeing one of the films uh, when I was in grad school Lagan which was a big one that actually did get some international awards back in the day it was a notable sort of Indian export um, that was almost four hours but but nonetheless like if I was seeing these kind of films on a regular basis and this is what I knew films to be I think it would be easier for me to to tap in whereas I don't know about you guys but I feel like when I'm watching when I was watching this film I felt like I had a degree of remove from it that shouldn't have been there um, and, and and I'll say like you know I felt like I was laughing at things that an Indian audience would have just been energized by and excited about. Like I was watching some of those action sequences and I'm like that's fucking ridiculous. 
ridiculous. Are you kidding me? You get nothing physically about that makes any sense. No, but you can't throw a tiger as a like a missile. That doesn't work. <laughs> Are you telling or, me that? Or, hold on. Or a motorcycle. You, um, yeah, exactly. Are you telling me that a motorcycle on fire can't be picked up by a human and then used as a bat to kill people? I'm with? making that claim. I'm making that claim. Whereas it should be real when it's Dom Toretto doing it. I can laugh and I feel like I'm laughing appropriately because yeah. here I am, the American viewer, seeing ridiculous over the top American action sequence. I, I stand can, in the right position I to judge. I cannot believe this. we are in the position together that we are in where I am telling you, no, the rules here don't matter at all. <laughs> well, no, and I don't get hung up on the rules, but I still, I'm going to laugh at it. And I, as I was having those moments of laughter, I felt like this isn't how I'm supposed to be reacting to this. But I'm supposed to be feeling like. These are two of the biggest historical figures of all time. And I'm seeing this superhero version of them. And it should have been like pumping me up in this righteous way. Whereas instead it was just like, holy moly, what wackiness is going on here? That's right. I don't know. I, 100%. Um, so the movie is 100% bombastic. Mm. Um, insanely over the top. But I, um, the whole point is that that you know, it's, it's based off of... Bollywood in general is what based off of old folklore that came in. So everything is all about just the biggest. It's very mythical. They right. they get very into and, which I mean I think uh, there is a nice parallel with what we've done with superhero films. Right. I think it's uh, to some degree. Right. And and like this movie specifically reminded me a lot of you know Captain America Civil War that kind of yeah that, yeah them facing off and everything and in, in the center. Oh sorry, spoiler. Uh, but <laughs> That's, I think, but this I think one Joe's goes, experiment, experiment crashed and burned. Yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, this movie takes that to the extreme um, and just everything as an American viewer made me laugh. Yeah. And I didn't want to laugh and I understood why I was laughing, but I, I hated that I was laughing yeah. doing it because it just... Okay, so you had some of the same self-critical reaction that but, I was yeah, having. Like, I knew that I shouldn't be reacting this way because this because as as a westerner as an american yeah. you know it's just that's my failing but. yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't think it was a failing because uh, i watched it with savannah and we were like Whoa, ho, ho! you know yeah, yeah. every reaction to yeah. every over the top thing right. and then we had to stop about 45 minutes left yeah. i can't remember why and we were very eager to pick it back up again and as we sat down it was like this is the climax of the film what are they going to pull out what are they going to pull out? So let's let's talk about some key scenes up until that point. Okay. We meet Ram, Ram, uh, uh, the British soldier, uh, <laughs> when he jumps over the fence into a mob of thousands. Right. When his uh, commander says, arrest that man. Which, the sense of scale in this film is, is astounding. Yeah. The numbers oh, yeah. of extras that they had they, in some of these scenes. It's the most expensive Indian film ever made, right? I think so, Like yeah. 72 million American yeah. dollars. And it's, uh, so. I think in a month, it became the second highest grossing Indian yeah, film. So you and can I'm see, sure it will become the, the most You can see every dollar spent. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it, so. and there's some uh, amazing CGI. There's some CGI that's a little less than amazing. Right. But the use of CGI in the film is actually pretty incredible. Um, some of the okay, so let's just let's start listing off scenes. Him, right. him against the two thousand people to arrest the to one arrest guy. a single man. That was that was incredible. Then the uh, much uh, my favorite scene in the film, uh, slash film's second favorite film uh, scene of two thousand twenty two, uh, <laughs> Natu Natu, the, the dance scene. Okay, which um, I didn't expect. I, I you know I, I could I I don't know a lot. 
as you yeah. said, uh, my failing, I'm going to remedy this, about Indian cinema. I've seen Bollywood cinema. Um, our favorite Indian food restaurant in town uh, always has something awesome on TV. And the sound is down, but there's other dancing. and with the But the dancing here is such a... Um, a plot beat. I mean, it, it advances the plot. It oh yeah, it solidifies their friendship. It it demonstrates the every single English person is a jerk except for her, <laughs> the the girl, the right. love interest yeah, of yeah, Beam. Yeah. And but but that dance sequence is so fun, and it solidified the smile on my face that just did not go away for the rest the other two hours, the remaining two hours yeah. of the film. And the dance sequence, I will say, was one of the moments in the film where I actually felt fully aligned with it, in term because it really is just a wonderful spectacle of dance and joy, and also righteous, uh, you know, like dressing down of Response the British. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. It's, you know, it's a dance battle where the people you want to win are winning and not just winning, but they're like badass. I mean, look right. at those dance moves. Right. Look at they're, the feet moving. It's aggressive dancing. Oh, but yeah. No. Super <laughs> intense. My my youngest daughter and I were like, you know, this is probably embarrassing. We shouldn't have, but we were trying to replicate some of the feet oh, sure. movement. You know, like we couldn't help ourselves. Sure. We're getting up and moving around. And she was moving around through a lot of the movie. Anytime there would be some dance. She got it, David. Yeah, she, she got did. it. She definitely locked in. Um, I, I had is... my daughter Winter during a good chunk of this movie, and she watched, she was enthralled by that dance sequence. Oh, yeah. She got up and was moving around awesome. during it. Yeah. I mean, this, the, yeah, no, th this is joyous film yeah. in, in, in a big way. And, and, you know, just to be clear that my statement earlier on about me feeling troubled by my own reaction to some of what was going on um, doesn't mean I didn't like the film. It just means that I come away feeling like I don't know that I fully got the film right. and that I fully because this is an incredible film. I, I mean, this is all the accolades it's getting, all of the, the buzz, all of the I mean, after right after I had watched it I was on social media I saw a former student of mine who I haven't talked to in a little while just out of, out of nowhere I mean in the sense that I didn't prompt him I was I didn't post and say like oh I can't wait until I get to talk about RRR on beer in a movie but he just posted RRR is the greatest film of all time you know that yeah. that was that was the post and having just seen it I'm like I totally get why he feels that way well, I guess we could go scene by scene I don't know how necessary that is I mean a couple more well, you, you've named a couple of the big the, ones the, I mean uh, a triple loaded, triple decker loaded uh, truck, cargo truck filled with Indian animals <laughs> that that um, jackknifes into the palace so that the animals can be launched from it to kill all of the English soldiers. Tigers, oxen, um, you name it. They're yeah. jaguars. They're killing everybody. And with uh, with beam it right in the center, correct? Yes. When he comes flying. Sure. Out yeah, right yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, where I uh, one more scene that I just wanted to talk about was that final scene, that final action scene where uh, Rom's legs are uh, a little hurt, and so he is riding on the shoulders <laughs> of his buddy as they run through the forest and kill everybody. Yeah. And that's when the motorcycle stuff's going down. Where he beam literally picks up a motorcycle. After it like flips three times into his hands, and then he you know uses it like a baseball bat and kills you know kills as many people as he need to. The scene where he uh, uh, Rom shoots the arrow through the tree and it misses the guy by like a fraction of an inch, so he goes and kicks the tree down, yeah. and it, so the arrow can go into his head. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. Where I 
disconnected from the film and it's just a cultural thing was not knowing a lot of the mythology that they're talking about um a lot of of, of i think i think if i have a right hindi gods that are you know sprinkled throughout things that are referenced in song but that is not a requirement to enjoy this movie at all no i agree with that um i don't think you need to know either Indian history. I mean, it it pretty much sets up what British colonial rule was like. I mean, mm-hmm. in a in very stark terms, right? I mean, th- this is that many people have commented on how well you did earlier. Like every white person in this film is totally evil, <laughs> except for the niece who who is you right. know, Beam's love interest, who who actually has has some you know genuine sensitivity in it. But I mean, the uh, the governor, his wife, are just. Two of the cruelest people you could you could ever imagine, um, you, you know. So that's set up this idea of like these colonizers who are ruling over these people um, need to be taken. Down. You know, like it, sure. it's, it's all so righteous. And from the point um, of view of the filmmakers in the country of origin, that makes sense. Oh no, absolutely. And I and I don't even think a British audience is going to push back on that at this point. Right. I mean, mo- yeah. most of them are pretty comfortable with the idea of their empire needing to expire when it did, um, but. Beyond that, I think you're right. Like there are these other more subtle cultural references. I mean, I say subtle; they're obvious, I'm sure, to a lot of uh, Indian viewers. Certainly, those who are in the Hindu faith. Um, but that said, you're right. I don't think you need any of that. Though it is interesting, as I have read criticism on the film mm-hmm. after seeing it, um, that it is. It it plays a major role, and it and it actually causes a little bit of trouble with some of the Indian movie-going audience in the sense that it is a very Hindu-centric film. Right. Um, in ter- I, I saw the color schemes. Yeah. Uh, the actual... The use of saffron orange in particular. Right. Yes, when Ram kind of adopts that. And it, it, it aligns him with one of the gods who is very much a, a figure of, you know, leadership in that. And that is troublesome because nowadays in the Indian state... You know, there is a movement of, you know, Hindu dominance there that's like to the detriment of Muslims, to the detriment of, of, of Sikhs, of other religious sure. folk. So, it, you know, I understand that it has a little bit of controversy in its home market. Um, but I think to a lot of us outsiders, that's not going to be readily apparent. And maybe that's OK. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, I think this works as an action Oh God! Yeah, uh, <laughs> musical, mostly action. I think it, it oh, really yeah. heavily tilted towards the action, um, and and you know to a certain level, bromance. Uh, you know, we use that term here. I don't know what the buddy film. I guess would be another way. But you know, these guys, their relationship is a really wonderful thing. It's it's great to see it unfold on the screen. I remember being initially. I don't know how to put it, but. You know, because they bond over that moment where they're where they're uh, rescuing the child together, right? And that which is another one of the big set pieces, right? right. There's like this, you know, crazy um, uh, train. A train car, uh, uh, an oil tank has on a bridge over a river, right? And, and <laughs> so fallen into the water, and there's flames over the water, which is apt because these two figures are aligned with fire, fire and water. And water. So, you know, you kind of have this visual symbolization of what they're, and they come together, they rescue this child, and it creates this sort of perfect bond between these two guys. 
to the point where they're not even going to ask each other where they're from, what they've been doing, anything they've been up to. They just know that they are best friends and they will work out together and they will run together and they Once will dance Once you dance together. like that together, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's difficult right. to break up. Right, yeah. So, you know, it, there was that part of me for a moment where I'm just like, you really wouldn't just say like, hey, what village do you happen to be from? Or what? <laughs> but no. That's okay. Rescuing anybody? That's okay. We 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 don't need that. It it and it allows it to unfold later, so that so that when they learn who each other are, it's a lot more exciting. I'm surprised, David. I'm usually the champion of something a little off, off kilter. Well, I, I don't I think know where I is... sit with this. I I'm if I had a if I had a whip covered in barbed wire, I, I wouldn't <laughs> use it on you. I mean, it's Thank not you. that egregious what you're saying right now, but I I'm surprised. But sometimes friends have to. We've, we've seen it. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's. And, and I may sing a song so beautiful that it would bring the crowds to my uh, right. know, rescue. But, but the, I think why, you're right, Joe, I tend to love the off-kilter. The problem that I have here is pointing out what is off-kilter and what is totally fine. You know what I mean? Like when I'm in my comfort zone, when I'm watching movies that I feel like come out of my own kind of cultural background or at least I have a set of expectations that very much tells me what's going on there so I can see where it's deviating and I can see where they're making choices that are different then I'm comfortable saying like I like people doing different things right. thing here is I don't think they're doing all that much that is really off kilter within the realm of Indian filmmaking I think that a lot of it is maybe an amplification or a sort of um perfection of what's going on like let's take two of the biggest stars of all time and let's put them in a story that has them playing two big historical figures and let's do it with all the bells and whistles that we possibly can so i think in that sense this isn't an off-kilter film this is a totally mainstream um celebration of indian filmmaking i mean i'd go so far to say it's one of the main most mainstream indian films ever made so, yeah um what I, so I, I think something that Joe sent or some something I saw that you know this is one of the the pan Indian films that are just setting the bar for what uh, cinema in India is yeah and um, so I don't this is I think was created to be uh, acceptable for all yeah um, I don't know so I yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't call it an <laughs> yeah filter movie so th so that's what <clears throat> but to our eyes I it does feel foreign I mean it does feel more different than almost anything else like i mean even when we see slow european cinema or something like we know kind of where that's coming from or if you have a background in american independent cinema and a background you know so i, I think that that makes it a little bit challenging for me to to put in that context um but what i love about it is that i think this is part of what helps bring those cinema traditions to a wider audience it's certainly making an impact here and it like i said seeing one of my former students post about it right after I saw it, hearing people talk about it, the buzz it's had through award season. It did, Natu Natu did win the Golden Globe, even though it didn't win for best foreign, uh, non-English film, because uh, it was Argentina 1965, right? 1984. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, no, can't year. you imagine that the Haven't Oscars, watched that one yet. Can't you imagine at the Oscars them doing a big Natu Natu thing? Oh, it feels like they will. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm sure it's going to be one of the options in the best original song right but also best uh whatever we're calling that category international. now international film and i think that you know it stands a good chance of winning and that's great i think that 
more people seeing this, the more I see it, the more that I get to see other films in that tradition, the more this will become normalized for me, and I'll be able to appreciate those later films even more. I, I mean, it, it's, it's spoilers for later, but I, we'll get into Korean filmmaking later and that mm. kind of stuff. But uh, I definitely, over the years, I've gotten used to that side of things and their approach to filmmaking, which is also different. Yeah. But, but also... It has like as a Westerner, like I can see it. Yeah. Like it, it, I connect to it. This was just so completely out of left field for me and yeah. the way they approached it and everything. But uh, like I said, it took me about thirty minutes. But as soon as I was in, I was in for yeah. the ride. So yeah. I mean, if what, three, three, three and a half or three hour movie or something like yeah. that. Yeah, a little over. Three. And then, uh, but it, it's not a slow burn. No, <laughs> whatsoever. It's it's definitely worth the three hours. Yeah, so. agreed, Get agreed. And it, it's yeah, it's not one that you're going to be. I mean, if you if you let it do its thing and you're watching it, you're not going to be looking at the clock. You're going to be watching this thing and you're going to be enjoying it. I do wish I had gotten to see it on the big screen. I oh, say God. that I feel like that's I need just big a time. shirt printed up that just says, I, I, I wish I had seen this one on the big screen because that is what I say almost every time. Yeah. But. I really mean it. I mean, the, the footage that I've seen, you know, you shared some stuff where there were people in theaters, especially the Telugu audience, mm -hmm. just going, going nuts. nuts. Yeah. And I mean, enjoying themselves, cheering. And, and cheer. it, it looks like such a great time. And I know I probably wouldn't have seen that here had I seen it on the big screen, but I would have enjoyed the spectacle of it all. If I, think I go see more. it on the big screen, I'll be sure to stretch before I go. Like get some like stretch and get everything <laughs> loosened up before that. Fair uh, enough. Not too not too happy. Fair enough. And I and I would not take a sip of my beverage until the interval hits. Right. Then, then I'd Good be point. safe. Because I'd probably have to hit the back. Now with the Bammies coming up. Are the Bammies the best film? Are they gonna be David's best five films of the year or your favorite oh, films? Oh no, I'm of the I'm year? I'm a big these are the favorites. There, okay. There's no, there's no objective best. Will RRR make an appearance on one of our lists? <laughs> Not yours, you English colonialist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, we went back to Houston just two episodes after doing the. We went backwards almost. We did the hazier Houston hazier. Yeah. Now we're doing yeah. the Houston haze, the beer that inspired it. Seven percent rather than the nine point whatever that Houston hazier was. I don't recall. Um, loss of flavor. I mean, how do you, you? We're going backwards here. Is this still as good as you remember it being? I mean, to me, yes. To my taste buds, this beer is exactly what I want a hazy IPA to be. Full of hoppy, uh, you know, citrusy, juicy elements. Nice light body, though. Which, if I remember correctly, with the hazier, we were even saying, even with the double version, mm -hmm. it was still pretty nice, and you know, it didn't get super heavy, malty kind of body to it. I find this so drinkable; it's so easy to throw back. These are really pretty fresh cans for us to have in the market too, less than a month old. Nice. So I, I'm I'm so happy with uh, with this, and I'm glad that we rectified the the problem with us not having had the more prevalent version here now we're filling that gap on beer in a movie and we did it with jimmy jimmy what do you think with this his glass is empty yeah no I, I went time. back for seconds my glass is empty um i would definitely pop open another can and drink it if uh, nice. the opportunity arises. it very well could it very well could this this is good stuff joe what what do you i mean are you going to rain on our parade here it's all right <laughs> <laughs> no it's um <laughs> 
the 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 variety of IPAs available. They've got the malt forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son said that uh, he had a, a couple friends over and they were drinking the um, Yellow Rose Smash IPA. Mm-hmm. So whoa, did you get a, a raise at work? What's going on? Because <laughs> you know he'll he'll enjoy a Miller Lite from time to time as well up in college. But uh, he said, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's very. He didn't know the words, right? So he's learning the words. He said it's very. Uh, uh, robust. I said, yeah, it's a very, it's a very malt for. It's a malty beer. This, that's not what this is here. This no. is light, and and it does have the. I don't know if I tasted the fruit salad that they listed on the can there, but very, very, very enjoyable. And as you say, David and Jimmy, with noting your empty glass, they're very easy to throw back. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, there's a there's a nice little bitter kind of dry snap at the end that I that I like too. That kind of. Clean, you know, it clears the palate so that I'm ready for the next sip too. So, so I, I mean, this is just exactly what I want in a hazy IPA. There's a reason why whenever I see this on the shelves, and it and it's relatively recent canning, I'm gonna go for it every time. And uh, and I'm glad we got to do an India Pale Ale with uh, with our first Indian film on the podcast. Hopefully not our last. No, agree. agree. Last. Um, well, it won't even be our last film. This episode because as loyal listeners know we're going to do a second and we're doing another non-english film as jimmy is already kind of teed up we're going to korea this time south korea um to talk about the latest from park chan wook when we get back from the break Uh, we are going to get into uh, the the latest uh, international hit out of South Korea in just a moment. But before we do that, we need to get beer in our glasses, folks. And we have a beer that was given to us, gifted to the podcast by one of our favorite contributors. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Daniel Benavides who has given us a beer from a brewery that we have had, but only in collaboration before this one. That's right. It's our first that they've done all alone. And uh, we had their uh, collaboration with Untitled Art Mm -hmm. back many episodes ago when we did He Got Game. This time we're going to do a beer that they've brewed um, out of their own space, doing their own thing. It's called French Toast Imperial Porter. This is Angry Chair Brewing. They are out of Tampa, Florida. Um, their description is that we put a lot of maple syrup in this beer, a little bit of toast, and an even smaller amount of French, people. <laughs> Just kidding. There's no maple syrup. Enjoy. So <laughs> what we're going to find in here, we we will see. Um, oh, geez. I thought I had seen the ABV on this. I'm going to have to look it up, guys. Let's uh, crack this open, get some in our glasses. Will this beer take us to the top of the mountain or to the bottom of the sea? Ooh. Ooh. Those, those are two options here uh, in, in our film this week. But let me see. This is pouring pretty dark. I can do that. All right. There's plenty in the bottle there, guys. So go ahead and give yourself some. Let me just see. An Imperial Porter. Yeah. 
I know, I know sometimes you get hung up on the whole porter stout thing. There really isn't a whole lot of great uh, clear lines between those. So, you know, do with that what you will. But um, Imperial French Toast Porter. Sorry, ASMR over here. That's fine. That's great. We like some good Foley work. Get uh, in there. Get in there. Hey, so do you smell French toast all over this thing? Yeah. <laughs> you do? do? You yeah, do? totally. Ooh. Nice. Oh, wow. This, um, so looking at the website, 11%. Okay. So hefty. Yum. Um, they, they say Imperial Porter, lactose, cinnamon, vanilla beans, and maple. Even though they say there's no maple syrup. I don't know. They're confusing me with this. Is there maple in there? Is there not? I think I smell it. I smell maple. So. It's, uh, yeah, it's very this, much there. Well, I, I can't wait to, to dig into this one. Uh, it's a little confusing. We'll talk about a film that might be considered by I, a couple people. A complex, layered very film. Very much, very much. Maybe this will be a complex, layered enough beer for us to enjoy when, with it. When I think Park Chan-wook, I think old boy, period. I love old boy. Love it. A, top 20 movie, maybe, of mine. I believe you mentioned it on the podcast before. I have not seen The Handmaiden, and I need to take care of that post-haste. Yeah. Uh, but Me too. I haven't seen it. Okay. Either. Park Chan-wook is known for kind of like, I mean, those, the, the especially old boy, like a, a gritty, uh, there's martial arts in there, but, but uh, erotic stories uh, to a degree. And um, almost like, like, I'll say sex forward a little bit. Um and so when you tell me there's a new uh, Park Chan Wook movie, uh, Park Chan Wook movie that's uh, getting a lot of buzz, I, I, I get excited. But this this movie, Decision to Leave, is a is a much different. It's a very it's a different tone and a different style of film for him. But I well I don't want to I don't want to put the cards on the table quite yet. Um, a man falls to his death while mountain climbing, uh, and uh, a Korean detective played by Park Hyel, uh, named Hai Jun, is the detective that's uh, studying, you know, that going after the case, which puts him in touch with the widow, a mysterious Chinese woman named uh, Sao Air. Sao Air? So Air? So Ray. So Ray? There's a typo on this thing that I'm looking at then. So Ray, thank you. Played by Tang Wei. Uh, she, she is the wife of the Korean man who has fallen off the cliff. Um, she's not showing a lot of signs of grief, but she does kind of give evidence the, uh, to the uh, notion that the man might have commit, committed suicide after a uh, kind of a work uh, faux pas, or at least like maybe um, he's an immigration officer and maybe had, had might have done some, some bad deeds there, briberies and that kind of thing. Uh, the case is closed. Uh, fast forward. Uh, he, by the way, our detective is married to some a woman he only sees on the week uh, on the weekends. Uh, they call it a weekend marriage. Um, they move to her uh, where she was working, but so then does the Chinese woman that he had been investigating. She gets remarried. Her husband gets m- murdered. He is the police officer in charge of it. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mention that while they were back in Busan and investigating the first murder, he kind of falls in love with her and begins um, like obsessively um, staking her out at night, etc. 
And she might have done the murder, <laughs> by the way. You threw a lot out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he might have not helped her get away with it, but given her a solution to getting away with it. Yeah. Then he might have found out that she did the murder, and then he might have had a nervous breakdown because he took his job more seriously than anything. And he realizes that for the love of this woman or pursuit of this woman or infatuation with this woman that he completely using his word is shattered because he gave his job and everything that he holds dear um, dishonored it. So when he meets up with her again, we're off to the races as he, again, as he is the detective on this new murder. And that's about all I can probably need to say (laughs) right now. That was a lot. Yeah. This movie is, I'm going to say this, Gorgeous to look at, beautiful. Yeah, I mean it, it's it, it is a meticulously put together film. Very much so. I mean, you you look at any frame of this film and you just know there was a lot of thought that went in to every choice that was made in terms of what's going into the frame, the mise en scène, how it's being framed what you know what angle we're taking on it art direction set design what's in focus what's not in focus um there are some interrogation scenes in here where i don't know if you guys were picking up but there's like strange choice i mean not strange but very deliberate choices being made about what's being kept in focus in given moments and we have like mirrors that are showing you know sort of duplicates of these people sometimes this is a visual puzzle i feel like of a film um, that I have only begun to unpack on one full viewing and a couple going back and watching specific scenes that stood out to me while I was watching it the first time. Yeah. um, As Joe said, I I think that it's a, just a visual feast. Mm. Uh, Visually I was uh, in 100% um, putting my cards out there. I thought it was totally uneven as a film which also kind of makes sense given the director it's just he wanted he was much like the last movie that we were talking about that's so much packed into the movie yeah um but yeah there was there's was moments of slapstick humor there was moments of, of just straight gritty uh just crime <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and just everything in between and um it, it, it was a lot for me to to be able to follow along with if yeah. that makes sense um but yeah no i I don't. Not, I'm still not sure where I fall. I, at the I, end of I, this yet, I think that's a totally appropriate reaction yeah. to have. Like, I, I mean, honestly, watching. Like I said, I've watched it one full time. I've gone back to a few scenes. I really would like to watch it again, front to back, and and really give myself On the, the opportunity. Screen? I wish. No. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had seen it. Um, but, but, but no. In reality, and and I think after watching it the first time, there was that part of me that just felt like I didn't. I didn't get everything that I was supposed to get. Like, and I, and I think you're right, Jimmy. There's, there is some of that tonal shifting. I think that maybe not necessarily confused me, but took me off the case. Like, where are we headed with this? Because I think, you know, Joe, your synopsis, you you did a pretty good job. It's a tough movie to synopsize, but you know, the whole, there's almost what an hour spent on that first case. It really feels like almost a film unto itself. Correct. Mm -hmm that sort of concludes but in an unsatisfying manner of sorts and then we pick up and we it's almost like we get a second chance at this case um 
you know, already in your synopsis, I think people are probably who, you know, may be thinking, I certainly did as soon as I, I heard it. Um, there's some echoes of vertigo here, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, lots of people are comparing this to, you know, this being a, a Hitchcock, Hitchcock moment yeah. for, uh, you know, uh, for Park. Um, and, I, and I think that's appropriate, though I think there's, there's other stuff going on there that I, I think um, I'm, I'm not fully thinking I've unpacked yet. Uh, my, my biggest issue with the film it is, it is a small one. My biggest issue is small. <laughs> is that it is a procedural crime drama that is not that sophisticated. The, the crime drama itself, okay? Um, he had DNA under his... The, the, the man, they, fall, they find a man at the base of a, of a kind of a pillar-type mountain that yeah. you can climb. And there's DNA under his fingernails. His wife has a couple of scratches on her body. And explains that they had had a fight, had an argument, and that's why the DNA is there. But look, I've got the uh, apparent, not I don't have the, but I can point you in the direction of an apparent suicide type note that he sends a colleague. And I've got these letters, the blackmail letters. Then the his superior, the detective superior says, let's close this case and get to the real case. And so it's, it allows a tidying up of the case. But when you learn exactly what happened, what happened isn't that sophisticated. The beauty of the film, though, is how it is all shown to you. Like, in other words, it's not an aha moment like a glass onion kind of thing where mm. something clever is a twist, whatever. It's more about just gorgeous presentation of small details mm. and then interspersed with I said that the captain wanted him to move on to another case yeah how that case kind of unfolds which is a, almost an aside in the film but it it, it, it continues motifs of climbing because mm -hmm. every single chase scene with any kind of perp that's my coplingo is uh, <laughs> upstairs up up ladders up yeah words yeah the the mountain I said mountain and ocean earlier I made a little joke yeah. mountain and ocean are um, there's a Confucius quote given about and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here but um, uh, optimism is the mountain pessimism is the sea mm -hmm. and uh, both of the critical pieces of action in this film take place on those two places so you're right David all these little pieces this little intricate puzzle and I'd like to come back around to some of those interrogation scenes with mirror images captured images on on little uh, uh, CCTV Monitors, screens yeah, yeah. and how they frame all of those so that you're seeing multiple versions of each person's face throughout in focus out of focus the filmmaking here is spectacular yeah. the script just a little yeah. undercooked yeah I, I hear what you're saying I I mean I think that ultimately it's less about any of these crimes than it is about his psychological state, right, and what what hit, what's sort of driving him? I mean, here here's this detective character who seems like he's pretty unsuccessful at actually ever solving any crimes, right? right? But he's obsessed with with looking. He's obsessed with you know like trying to find these things, and he's constantly you know you know putting drops in his eye. He, it's like he's looking for clarity he's looking for eyeballs are a big a sense motif yeah well. a sense of what it is that he's supposed to do 
And I think even when certainty comes, it's not something that he can actually have because, you know, as it is in that first half of the film, he's kind of, as you've already pointed out, Joe, you know, there he is, Haijun falling in love with Xiao Rei, right? And when he wants her, like, you know, she's cordial, she's fine to him, and they have a good relationship, but she's not interested in him that way, it doesn't seem. And then when it turns, he's troubled enough that he can't, it's like when he can see something, it's not there for him, but then when he can't see it, it's the thing that's there. I don't know. There, there's something going on with more about what it is that drives this character, um, what it is that he's looking for in any given moment, and what he actually has access to. And that's what I mean. Like, I want to go back and watch this film again because I feel like there, yes, it's a procedural in a sense. But I think that's a MacGuffin. <laughs> I think the procedural is the thing that's sort of misleading right, I mean, us. I mean, honestly, I, th- I think it's it's really just the setting for the characters. Yeah. Um, in, in a way, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's more about this kind of inability to connect, maybe. and the, But yet the yearning to connect. The inappropriateness to connect as well, if you, if you mm. consider the circumstances of the right. characters. You shouldn't be dating when you are married the uh, widow of a you know who might might be a murder suspect yeah. who his partner thinks is the a prime suspect but who he keeps pushing away the idea of that against right. probably his better judgment which shatters him ultimately right that's it's the the blindingness of it um, which isn't a word but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah no the, the, he's he yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely and and I think. But that, and that is what it, like this this idea of there are things that he can see clearly and that we all can see clearly, perhaps when we need to. But how how often does that actually align, right? How much is one able to actually see clearly when they need to see clearly, and and where does that sort of you know when do those things actually come together? There's also a language barrier uh, motif yeah. through the film that is lost on me because That's, I don't speak the two languages. Totally agree. I think mm-hmm. it's they do a good job trying to get it across in the subtitles and through the dialogue. But I know as a non-Korean speaker, or in, I, I think Korean would be the the language because it's obviously Chinese right. that's her her home language, and occasionally she does speak in Chinese to get the translation. There's like you know she has the translation app on her phone that's trying to, but she's speaking in a version of Korean that's not how a native Korean speaker yeah. would be speaking it, but still understandable to them, right? Because he, he's right. constantly the, people are telling her we understand what you're saying, but you can tell it's a little bit off from what they would be hearing what they would be expecting to be hearing yeah agreed it it is a but like i said i mean it goes back to the mise-en-scene the the, the gorgeous cinematography and framing the scene i think you're talking about david is you know in every single interrogation room there's a full mirror window that you know some people are behind watching you yeah and so the framing is the detective and the widow facing one another and their reflections behind them mm-hmm. in the background. And you're right, David. I did notice it. And I pointed it out with Tissana when we were watching it together. We were around it. Watch the focus. Yeah. Literally the focus. And depending on who's speaking, depending on who's reacting, 
it could be the focus of the foreground, it could be the focus of the reflection, and then cut to uh, the use of, um, of there's clearly a camera in the room that's, that's, that's sending the, right. the image of, of her face, or his face maybe, to a computer monitor. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's brilliant. It's mm. brilliant. I haven't come to the conclusion of what I'm seeing, of, of what the director's trying to tell me. Yeah. It's potentially who is speaking the truth. That's I went that went yeah. through my head. Like the person in focus is speaking the truth, and then you can take clues from who's out of focus. Yeah, I believe that that could be the case. Um, the other thing is the the wallpaper, the little details, the wallpaper in her room, which looks like mountains and sea. You could it's almost like a visual trick. Yeah, it's also the. Same wallpaper as the cover of her journal. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, no, it's I didn't. Bare, it's a uh, well, brief little yeah. quick shot. Yeah. There's a cell phone twist. There's a cell phone as a prop in the twist of solving a, yes, a, a, yeah, a yeah, thing, yeah. which I thought was okay, especially when um, the 132 steps, the uh, vertical steps that she took yeah. is the same amount of steps that it took him to climb the same mountain. Right, right. And he climbs the mountain to figure out where she would have been, where the husband would have been. And then the scenes where he is observing her, usually from his car through her window, but then he's in the room with her. Like it, it'll show like he's in the room with her, but yeah. we know that that's just his imagination. There's so much beauty in this film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I Again, I feel like this is a bit of a puzzle of a film. I think what, what you're... You know, I, I saw some of that that you were talking about, certainly with the interrogation stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, in the doubling of them, like there's, is, is part of it the them that's, you know, that's speaking on what they're saying on the surface, what they actually mean sort of, you know, more, um, you know, internally what, what's there. Sure. I think, you know, I I need to go back and watch that scene. And, and that's one that I've already rewatched, <laughs> but I need to go back again and kind of think about it because it is so carefully put together and I, I just know that everything is there for a reason um it, because i feel like this film is going to tell me something important like it, it has that kind of feeling where i've only really scratched the surface of what this film has to teach me about human relationships yeah i've only watched it that once and mm -hmm. so i feel bad saying that my my initial reaction was that it was totally uneven mm. and um i didn't really know where i landed on it but i, th I think that might be it it took um, me it took me two on tar yeah to get um, like the 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 depths within which a puzzle in and of itself how great that film was be, i mean because to both of your points i mean watching the entire the, the entirety of it i was just like enthralled by what was on the screen yeah it was just is certain ways the actors or the characters would react to each other. Um, yeah. Certain things and just the situations just like it took me out of it at yeah. first. And I, I, I wish def I, I definitely recommend this. Film. Yeah. I wish definitely I recommend I wish I didn't have some of those experiences. I wish that I was like in it 100% yeah. all the way through, but yeah. Um, so it, it might be another viewing might change my mind on that. But. Yeah. It, and you know, at, at, because okay, we're, we we don't avoid spoilers. We we've learned that for for sure this episode. Um, you know the ending of this film, right? The the, the decision to leave here. <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, Seal Ray, 
decides to leave. She decides to kill herself at at the end of this film. Um, you know, when when it becomes fully apparent that um, he's aware that she has been committing these murders, right? I mean, there's one that she totally admits to. I mean, she killed her mother, which is a mercy killing, like euthanasia. Uh, euthanasia. Yes. I mean, like, but but was capable of it. You know, like it can end a person's life. Um, he, he realizes for sure that she had done it to her first husband. That it was her with the second husband. That. You know, once I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys think. You know, to me, her realizing that he's never going to be able to accept her now that he knows fully sure. what what she's capable of and what she's done. But she, but she wants to be with him. Her ending herself the way she does. She does it in a very sort of cryptic way, where she like digs a hole in the sand, covers herself. And then I guess either at, at, at the beach with high tide coming, right? Yeah, okay. And it, but but gives him enough clues to lead him to that beach, um, but only after she's already expired under the ground, like yeah. and he's not finding her. I mean, we end the film with him searching for her and not mm -hmm. knowing where she is, even though we know as an audience that she's right, right beneath there. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to me, there's something so sad but beautifully poetic about this where you know i mean the whole thing that's driving this guy is this detective who i said is a very unsuccessful detective from all accounts and is sort of plagued by these unsolved mysteries that that he hasn't been able to to bring to to an end here you said that twice i got the feeling he was very successful but had a few unsolved cases i don't but those are the ones that he talks about yeah so i you're right i mean i'm i'm but that that's what he's fixated on in a way like i just think it's such a weird and beautifully poetic kind of ending where she's made herself into one of those mysteries that he's never going to be able to solve. Well, she seems like a very broken woman if you consider all of the facts that the film presents. Mm. I mean, it's almost as if... I mean, okay, so she meets him by happenstance because he's the detective for the first murder. Yeah. But it's almost as if... It's not quite, but it's almost as if it's the, she designs it to meet up with him again by killing the second husband because she's probably knows in the internet yeah. age that he that's where he lives yeah and i i thought it was i mean i just wanted to before we right. if we're wrapping it up i i thought it, one of the things that the the things that i enjoyed was um in busan where he's the detective they yeah. get these lavish lunches brought in right but in the town that he lives in there's so there's no murder so he, he's been investigating burglaries and things and so he's almost excited the town's excited that there's a murder that we can investigate <laughs> yeah, a murder yeah and so um we're used to seeing these lavish like bento box type sushi yeah. lunches brought in for at busan but in this smaller town it's a corn dog with tomato uh, with ketchup and mustard on it yeah and I, there is so much said in all of this but I again don't exactly know what the message is. He's yeah. telling us, he's telling us something there. Yeah, that in a city where there's more murder, you almost get more g gifts or, or huh. perks. Yeah, but because we don't even know how to conduct a murder investigation, almost, and his his assistant in this smaller town mm -hmm. is incredible. She's so funny. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I just I'm try, I'm giving little clues to anyone. 
then if they haven't seen Decision to Leave, it's definitely yeah. worth the rental. Uh, it was a five dollar rental on Amazon, but at, yeah. at, at the recording time. Yeah, there, I mean, I think there's a lot in there. It's a, yeah. but, but you know, we were talking in the, uh, you know, off mic on, on the break um, about how contrasting a film this is to RRR, right? Where you're talking about, you know, oh, that yeah. bombastic maximalism. Yeah. Oh yeah, so RRR is what three hours and fifteen minutes, something like that. Yeah, this one's two and a half ish, yeah. something. Uh, you can feel the slow burn of this one. Yeah, uh, yes. whereas RRR, it's just nonstop. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it, and it, it is funny, and and this is a film I think that is, you know, I've I've used this term puzzle. I do think that this is, it, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. Like, I I think you need to approach this more like a Christopher Nolan film than a Steven Spielberg film, right? I mean, whereas RRR, you comparing it to Spielberg, I think is apt. Like this is somebody who's pulling out some great cinematic tricks to to do effective storytelling and to really sort of, you know, connect with the audience in this really emotional way. Um, this one is more to get the audience thinking and to force you to sort of, try to piece together what it is that's maybe going on. And it's one that I think, you know, if you watch it multiple times, I think you're going to keep finding things in there that are going to um, just make it a richer and richer experience. Sure. So it, it's it's interesting in one episode for us to have covered this kind of territory because usually we try to pair things that have kind of a similarity. Here we're doing this catch up where we're just trying to like fit in all these films that people are talking about as having been some of the most impactful films of 2022 and i think unequivocally both of these films deserve to be in that list oh, yeah. but for very different reasons so you know i'd kind of say the same thing with the beers this episode <laughs> you know we're in the first half we had houston hayes um which i think exemplified the heights of what what we're doing these days with hazy ipas and uh and you know sort of juicy bright um, real easy to drink. Here from Angry Chair Brewing out of Tampa, Florida, with the Imperial French Toast Porter, I think we have something dark, luscious, weighty. You know the maples there, sure. the, the the all, all the, the vanilla, the lactose. This is like full, rich body that that we're dealing with. I mean, I've been sipping on this. The, the entire time and I do think this is one of those kind of complexly layered dessert beers well I guess breakfast dessert what do you what do you French toast is just what what do you call that like a pastry breakfast I don't know what, what it David this beer is dangerous dangerous <laughs> this beer is dangerous because the flavor is so you're right it's like you're enjoying all of the adjuncts that they promise mm-hmm you want French toast breakfast? This is French toast breakfast in a glass. Dessert in a glass? No. French toast breakfast in a glass. Yeah. You're sipping, you're sipping, you're having a good time, you're having a good time. And all of a sudden, kaboom, you've had a little too much. I feel like my decision to leave uh, review might have suffered <laughs> for these very reasons. Uh, this beer is as dangerous as a, a rom or a beam or a, <laughs> wow. a uh, multi-husband killing yeah. uh, <laughs> Or, yeah, a, a Sure, uh, hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I loved this. This was, this was a treat. I wish I knew more what, what to say with, uh, with porters, but I, I really like it. Yeah. Um, 
Are you getting I, the French toast? I do very yeah. much. Uh, it was very maple forward for me, uh, if that's the thing. I, yeah. Um, but right, what I, you're saying is correct. I was, you know, I'm an IPA guy when I do drink beer. So mm-hmm. um, that first beer was definitely up my alley. But uh, I call these beers my, my dessert beers. Cause I yeah. usually have one, maybe two, and yep. that, usually just one. And that's about it. Right. Uh, so, but I see myself drinking that entire bottle and that, so <laughs> yeah. going, going back to your, your dangerous thing like yeah. that's that's not good but, yeah but also this, great yeah this is one of those big format bottles too that we've been sharing so yeah that that could but you're absolutely right i mean like mm-hmm. if, if honestly if i had cracked that open and nobody else was here and i pour myself i'm just gonna have like eight ounces and i'll put that to the side like, i'd be filling it back up because it just goes so down good. very yeah. easily angry chair i mean from what i recall with the collab that we had with Untitled, Untitled Art, the, I mean, the, the, delicious there. This, another winner. I feel like, uh, you know, they, I'm sure they have range. I'm sure not everything is all heavy, dark beer uh, in, in their realm, but they clearly can do the heavy, dark beer. Well, the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here. Find us on social media, folks, on Facebook at facebook.com slash TX. On Instagram under the handle at Beer in a Movie. And you can join our chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. We've also mentioned, although I don't think we did this episode, but hopefully you know already that you can find us on Patreon where we put up our Patreon subscriber only after hours bonus episodes, although occasionally we'll make one available to the public. Sure. So if you're curious, there's a few on there that you can you can listen to even Go without being a subscriber. Um, but if you like what you hear and you feel like signing up, you can do that all at patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast. Also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave that platform, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another Big, bombastic, but also subtle and layered <laughs> episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. David, Jimmy, your friendship is more valuable than this life. <laughs>